Uh, this morning, w- once you open up your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, as I think about the church, and I, often I think about this, um, I'm, you know, uh, I don't know if it's because I've been preaching a long time or because I, I, I don't have a very good, uh, I, I'm not really focused, but I, I think about you while I'm preaching. I see your faces and I'm glad you look at me and for the most part you guys are awake and uh, I, I know who sleeps and who doesn't in church. I don't take offense to it though. I think I'm soothing to your soul is what it amounts to. Uh, but uh, I, I see your faces, and uh, one of the things that I love so much about Bear Valley Church is that uh, for the most part, I know who you are. I know something about you. I know I've met uh, your, your spouses, and I, I know some of you, I even know where you live. That's kind of creepy. Uh, but I, I know, you know some background, your occupation, maybe even where you've come from. Uh, and a lot of times I know the things that are burdening you right now. And so, uh, you know, I, I really look at two things that uh, sometimes shape who we are. The first is this, uh, the sins that we've committed, the sins that we've committed and the, the guilt that we feel. Uh, you know, some of us, you know, we, we struggle with this, not just... Um, the sins of the way past, but even the things that have happened in the last week. And it burdens us, and, and we, uh, we struggle with, what do you do when you were a failure? What do you do when you didn't pass? What do you do when it was your fault? Uh, the guilt and shame of what has happened. And then the other thing that I think shapes us is the hurts that are presently going on, the hurts. And, and when I say hurts, they, they could be anything. We've talked about the various trials, right? And uh, uh, many of you, uh, I, I think especially of you grandparents, just because you have more generations you're looking at after and you feel less connected and able to control the generations after you, uh, but the hurts that that involves. Uh, I realize that... Um, some of you watch the news just so you can get wound up about something. Uh, the rest of you sometimes just have it, right? Your own family news is enough to get wound up about, right? And those hurts and burdens that maybe uh, make it difficult to sleep at night or maybe it wakes you up in the night and then you can't go back to sleep because you're solving the problems, not of the world, but of your family, the hurts that are going on in your own heart. This morning... When I think of guilt and I think of hurts, I want to add this one word uh, that will pull us out of this whole mess. It's salvation. Salvation. To be saved. To be saved. To be uh, uh, rescued, if you will, from the, the guilt of the things that you've done and that you know that the hurts of this life will not go on forever, that you will be rescued from those as well. This morning, we're going to be talking about this. And so I, I love the fact that we can go to God's Word. I'm not, I, I, I want to remind you of this often, that I have nothing to tell you of importance, me personally. I have no answers that you can't find yourself. But I know that the Word of God is true. 
It's authoritative. It, it has the, the final word on all of the wisdom that you might hear. And I, I want to encourage you to let go of some of that wisdom that you feel like you have, all those smart things you thought you thunk, uh, and let go of it and allow God's word to be the primary thing in your life that you listen to, that you're listening to him. You're listening to him. And as I preach this morning and every uh, time you hear me uh, open up God's word, to be able to distinguish what's the difference between a word of man and the word of God that you might hear from God. And so uh, as we look at 1 Peter this morning, I'd like to read to you, if you'd stand in honor of God's word. If you can't stand, that's fine too. Stand in your heart. Uh, but I'd like to sh- read to you, uh, starting at chapter 1, verse 3. And I want to read from 3 down through verse 9. God's word says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. God, we ask your blessing on your word. Uh, may we hear from you now. May your spirit be work at our, in our hearts in a way that is uh, transforming and changing and reordering, God, that we might be uh, more fit to be your people, that your, your work would be, your plan would be worked out in us, that we might be your vessels here on this earth, that you might do your work in this church. God, thank you for your grace, your patience with us, your mercy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So here we are. This is a passage, these couple of verses here, is a passage on faith, on faith. And, uh, you know, when we talk of uh, the issue of faith, we even use it in, in, in broad senses that we would say, oh, that person is a, a person of faith. They, they believe in stuff. <laughs> they, they believe in something. They have some framework or religion. But this morning, as we look at this passage, we realize this one thing, that what he is describing in these couple of verses is genuine faith. Genuine faith. And I'd say it this way, faith that works. Faith that works. Faith that God looks upon and says, this is what I approve of. This is what I accept. 
Um, you, you realize, I, you know, I watch my kids play sports, and from time to time, sports and religion kind of come together. Um, and uh, I, I remember one particular coach looking at these eight, nine, ten-year-olds or whatever, and he's looking at these kids, and he's staring at them and playing baseball, and he's getting in their face, and he says, you have to believe that you can hit it. And, and as I'm watching it, I go, that kid's not going to hit it. There's no way. He hasn't hit it all year long. What's good? Like, like, what is he telling them to believe in? And what he was trying to do, he was trying to play mind games with him. Uh, you can do what you can't do. Uh, go ahead. You, you can do it. Just believe that you can do something you've never done before and you'll be able to do it. Um, and sometimes that happens. I, I, I've seen videos where uh, these guys are in the uh, weightlifting room and, and you know, guys are yelling at them. They're these just hulking and, and everyone's just kind of cheering them on and they're yelling at themselves and, then, and they're getting themselves all pumped up for the big lift. And what they're trying to do is to disengage their mind from the reality of how much that weighs and make their body do something that it shouldn't or couldn't do, right? That's what a lot of us see faith as. And I want to encourage you this morning to separate mind games and separate uh, believing and even being uh, uh, causing yourself to switch in your mind to believe something that's not true, to switch that from that to genuine faith that our God, our Creator, approves of, okay? That's what we're looking for this morning. And so this morning, uh, we're going to take a look at uh, what faith, we're really going to see what faith looks like. And there will be seven things for those of you who are keeping score this morning. Um, some of you really like to get those seven in there ahead of time. And you can even raise your hand if, you, if I skip over one and say, what was number two? Um, what faith looks like from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, okay? Uh, he starts out and, and he says this, uh, that it's not based on sight. It's not based on what you can see. If you look down at verse 8, he says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him. Uh, as he looks upon faith and he, he talks about this faith that saves, he says this. He says, it's not based upon sight. I would even say it this way. It's not based upon observation, measurement, and experiment, and the formulation and testing and modification of a hypothesis. You know what I'm talking about? Science. Science. It's interesting, in the last years, people have tried to pit uh, faith in Christ against science. Uh, you know, there's even been some famous comedy movies that have said, you know, have had lines where people have said, I believe in science. I believe in science. Um, as, you, as you think about this, you realize uh, what, what they're saying is faith is for dummies Faith is for dummies. Science is for the smart people. And you either get one or the other. You don't get both. 
You, you either get one or the other. And one's got to be better than the other. Think about that for a moment here this morning. Um, if, if, in God's Word, it's so interesting because He says, yes, you're right. It's not based on sight. It's nothing you've seen. In fact, He says it twice. And one is, He, he says, you haven't seen Him in the past. You're not basing this upon some experience that you had in the past. Peter had seen Jesus. Peter did have relationship. He, he had seen him face to face. But this group of people, these believers, scattered, had not seen Jesus. Uh, and, and that was the reality. The, the second piece of that is they were not seeing him now. Uh, they, he wasn't in their presence now, it wasn't something that they had been experiencing daily or something in the past. It wasn't based upon sight. Um, I, I want to tell you just a, a few things that um, as you think about that whole idea of observation science, if you can't test it, some people say that they're so much committed to this idea of science that they say, if I can't test it, if I can't understand it, if I can't observe it, I will not believe in it. That's, that's ridiculous to say. It really is. Uh, especially from people in Tehachapi. Some of you have lived your, your whole life, right? And so this is all you know. And so your world is very small, very small. And if you're only going to believe in that which you can see or have seen, you're not going to believe in very much, right? And you want to have an accurate picture of the world. What we have here is this, that it's obvious that the world is bigger than our brain. It's obvious that there are things that are true that we can't understand, right? Uh, we are limited. We are limited. And so as Peter states the obvious, he says, uh, your relationship with Christ is based on faith. It's not based upon sight. It's not based upon that which you can touch and that which you can provide experiment to. I want that to sit with you this morning. I think so often as believers, we get um, worked up when somebody says, well, how can you prove it? And we go, uh, I, I can't. So I guess you're right and I'm wrong. Don't give up that position. Uh, it's acknowledged in Scripture that we have not seen Jesus. We, we personally have not seen Him. We didn't see Him in the past. We're not seeing Him in the present. And yet, because of our faith and our understanding, it's not that there aren't things that we can truly point to and believe in, including the Word of God, testimony, um, that we know that Christ is worthy of our trust. So the first thing that faith is based, it's not based upon, it's a negative thing, it's not based upon sight. Our faith is not based upon sight. Uh, you could even recall, and Peter may have been thinking about this, the interaction with Thomas after Jesus went to the cross. And uh, Thomas was struggling with you know, the reality of Jesus, and Jesus encouraged him to touch him, to, to touch him. And at, at the end of this conversation, Jesus said in verse 29 of John chapter 20, uh, Jesus said to him, he says, 
Have you believed because you have seen me? And then he says this, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And that's us here this morning. Uh, because of our faith in Christ is not based upon sight. There's an extra blessing that comes that God uh, approves of that is not based upon sight, uh, but based upon our belief and our trust, our faith in Him. Secondly, faith uh, that's spoken of in this passage, it is in Jesus. It is in Jesus. If you look back to verse 7, what does it say? The last two words, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, it, it identifies him and his coming, Jesus Christ, that's what we're talking about. And then in verse 8 it says, though you have not seen him, who? Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. Um, we, um, uh, we're in California, right? We're not in the really crazy parts of California. We're, we're in the most clear thinking part of California right here. Among the blind, the one eye is king. That's all I want to say. No, uh, um, some of you are thinking about that right now. What did he mean by that? Uh, but um, we're, we're in California, and um, we, uh, we have all kinds of uh, smart people in California, and philosophers and people who think deep thoughts. And, uh, you know, we would even have um, people say, well, I have faith that this is going to happen I believe, this is what I believe, and they write down or they articulate what they believe. And you would ask them, uh, so where'd you get that? And, and, and they look at you like, what do you mean where'd I get that? My brain is where I got that. And you say, you probably shouldn't look there. <laughs> you probably should find a better source for what you believe than your brain. Because you can't just believe whatever you want to believe. And if you're really sincere and you're really thought out or whatever, it must be okay and right because I believe it. Well, what we're looking at here is this. That when we're talking about faith, our faith is in Jesus Christ. In Him and Him alone. It's not something that we make up. It's not our own path. It's not our own ideas. It's not a guru that we figured out. It's not some spiritualist that seems like they know more than anybody else. It's in the person of Jesus Christ. He's the one that we have faith in. I want to encourage you to be careful that when you speak of what you believe or your faith, that it's in Jesus Christ. Because if it's not in Jesus Christ, if it's not, if it's not, it's not saving faith. It's not. If it's in the things that you do, if it's in some uh, smart uh, idea, if it's in, uh, like, I believe in kindness, uh, that's very common today. I, I believe in kindness. I, I believe in love. I believe in love. I want to tell you, uh, Forget those words, forget those words, and remember that faith, genuine faith, saving faith, is in Jesus Christ, in Him and Him alone. Very important. Uh, I, I want to tell you, in the land of fruits and nuts, we can uh, 
we can come up with all kinds of great sounding ideas. And even things that, you know, this idea, oh, I just, you know, I just love everyone and I love and I love me and I love. I want to tell you, that's not the core message of Jesus. It's part of his message. It's a God of justice as well. And, and, he, and he had a message. He had a message, a one-way message. And he called people to believe in him. Jesus. So our faith is in Jesus. Even as I, I just shared about uh, not believing in love, uh, I want to point to this passage and I want to say this. Number three, what faith looks like produces the love of love for Christ. It produces in us a love for Christ. As you look at the passage, he says this, though you have not seen him, you love him. You love him. Why does that produce love in us? Why would we love someone that we have not seen? Uh, why would we have this love affection commitment to someone we have not seen? It's because of what they did. Jesus did something that marks us and draws us. And even as Romans tells us, it's, it's this idea that his kindness drew us in. It drew us to repentance. His goodness caused us to respond in love to him. Why? What did he do? As part of the plan of God that we've seen in this passage, chapter 1, as part of the plan of God, Jesus Christ came to die for sinners, the guilty and the hurting. He came to save the guilty and the hurting of which we are this morning. And so what does real faith look like? It produces the love for Christ. That he would be the one that, that our life centers around. It's interesting. This is uh, what love is. It, and it's not that um, you're not uh, good and kind to everyone. But because of relationship, love relationship, some people are more important to you than others. I know sometimes we try to encompass the whole world hurting and everyone. And I want to tell you that you can't do that. I mean, you, you can want to. You can be kind to everyone that God brings in your path. But you really can't meet the needs of everyone in the whole world, right? And so in your priorities, you say, who do I love the most? Who is it that is number one? Who is it the one that gets my time, resources, talents, uh, compassion? Who, who is it? the ones you love. And as you think about that this morning, uh, what faith is, what true faith is, it produces in us a love for Christ. Um, it, it's not that hard to understand either, right? It's interesting how um, little ones and even those who are adults say, this is my mom. This is my mom. And, and that means a lot when somebody says, this is my mom. Why? Because they think of all that their mom has done for them. And some of you moms even remind your kids of that, right? You say, I was in labor for a week and a half, hard labor for a week and a half. And you make these grand stories. Um, remind it, yeah. Anyways, uh, 
as a pastor, once you start talking about childbirth, you realize you've got to find the side door and get out of there. Um, but, but, but you realize as, as an adult, you say, that's my mom. That's my mom. She's done things. She's won the position of love because of what she has done. And in a much greater sense, sorry to say it, moms, in a much greater sense, Jesus Christ has done that for us. He's won that position of love. And it, it's only right, it's only appropriate that our uh, response to faith in us, what it does, it causes us to uh, have love for Christ. Understanding the gift of what Christ has done produces the love in us for Him. That's what it does. That's what faith looks like. Number four, number four, uh, what faith looks like, it's, it's not momentary and shallow and a shallow conclusion, but a permanent and decided conclusion, okay? I know that's long, but the idea here is this, that belief is not temporary. Belief is not temporary. That second line there, it says uh, in verse 8, he, he says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him. The grammar tells us that this is not something that's a momentary belief, but it's a decided thing that has gone on, that habitually goes on. It's a place where you are. I think that so often we think of uh, believing as something like growing up. I, I used to believe in the Easter Bunny, or I used to believe uh, in unicorns or Care Bears or whatever you used to believe in. And now I have grown up and I no longer believe in them. I'm changing. But the idea here in the grammar tells us that uh, it's not something that is a temporary thing. It's not something that is a momentary, a, a shallow conclusion that we would uh, leave later. But it's a permanent and decided thing. It's a present, continuous action, habitual. Uh, it's the typical activity of one's life after coming to faith. That they would believe. Um, many times uh, we feel very comfortable with believing in things that are not true. And, and, and the idea of believing in something, it, it's convenient for us. It makes us feel good. I remember there was a song, one of the most ridiculous songs that have ever been written. Uh, and, and people love it. They love it. A man sings, he says, I believe I can fly. I believe I can touch the sky. And, and people go, yeah, man, that's so deep. Man, I just, that is, that's true. That is true right there. Yeah, true. Yeah, true. Yeah. That, that's a good one, you know. We need to make a sign of that, right? We need to play that over and over again at middle school graduations and stuff like that, right? Um, and, and, and what it is, it's saying, yeah, I can do things that I can't do, right? And if I just believe, I, I want to tell you that that is not, that is not what the Scripture is talking about when it says believe, uh, it's one of the, the gospel words. It's one of the salvation words, believe. There's, there's a few of them. You, you, there's, I don't know, there's probably 12, 15 that I'll, I'll talk about some facet. But believe is one of them. Trusting, right? 
others repentance, salvation. Like these are words when you hear them, you say, oh, he's talking about coming to know Christ, being saved, being a, a resident of heaven, believe. And that word is different than just thinking something in your mind. It's just it's very different. And so as we look at this, we realize it is not momentary and shallow, but rather permanent and a decided conclusion. Permanent. Um, as we think about this, it's important to realize that just because we say we believe something doesn't mean that it's true. But as we talk about believing in Jesus Christ, we are acknowledging that we are trusting in Him, Him who is real, Him who has been part of the plan of the Father to give up His life as a, 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 a one that would stand in our place to take our sins. And as we say we believe in Him, we believe that message to be true. Number five, number five, real faith, what faith looks like, it produces inexpressible joy. As you look at uh, verse nine, I'm sorry, verse eight, it says, um, though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. Uh, It's always funny to me as the word of God is expressed, I want to be careful the way I say this because it makes it sound like I, I don't think the Word of God is great. It is great. But I, I want to tell you that our words, we struggle with being able to say things in a big enough way when it comes to the gospel of what Jesus is. And in this passage, the translators did the double joy thing. I don't know if you noticed it in the ESV. I, I didn't check the other. But they did the double joy uh, by saying... Uh, as you look at it, he says, uh, it says, you believe and rejoice with joy. You're rejoicing with joy. Because you're trying to layer this in such a way. Uh, it wasn't just be joyful. It wasn't just rejoicing. It's rejoicing with joy. And then even adding on to that, maybe a third layer, inexpressible, inexpressible. Words don't do it justice. We can't find the right words. We can't say it in a big enough way what he has done for us. I I, I love this because, um, you know, the idea of being part of a church as a pastor who preaches the Bible, you kind of say, well, you're set up for failure. Isn't it going to get tired and stale after a while? You know, how many times can you preach an Easter message or a Christmas message? I mean, it's the same message over and over and over again. In fact, both of those messages are the same message, right? Uh, And you go, I think you're in trouble. And I said, no, I'm not in trouble. Why? Because we cannot plumb the depths. We cannot find enough words to describe the riches that are found in Jesus. That as he touches hearts, not just the facts of them, but as he touches hearts, it produces, real faith produces in the life of the believer an inexpressible joy that they live in and rejoice in. And and frankly, this is what I'm trying to encourage us as a church and myself as well, is that in the midst of life, there's going to be things that we don't like. There's going to be things that don't go our way and don't fit our plan and, and things that are hard, and they may not be hard just for a moment. They might be hard for a lifetime. 
And, and what do we do with that? I want to tell you, we turn our heads away from that and fixate on the riches that we have because of Jesus. And it produces in us this inexpressible joy. Uh, it blows the circuits. It's more than we can handle. Uh, and so this is what we, uh, we focus on. That was number five. It produces inexpressible joy. Number six. Um, it shows God in us. As he talked about this inexpressible joy, he connects this, uh, this salvation that we have. And he says this. He says that, um, that he gives us this joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Filled with glory. The word glory... Uh, very common in the New Testament and Old Testament as well, but, but it's the idea of the presence of God. And that not just that He's there, but He displays Himself as magnificent. And, and it, that's what's in us. It, this is hard for us to imagine, but that because of true faith, faith that saves, in the life of the believer... There's God's glory in you, and he desires to display his glory in you. Uh, and that really is just a, a, a part of what is going to happen as we look to the future, that in all eternity, that he will be glorifying himself. Um, and as part of that, his magnificence is displayed in us and on us. That's hard for us to imagine, but this is part of it. If there's anything attractive in you, if there's anything wonderful, know this, that it is the work of God, work of God, His glory displayed in you. And lastly, and this comes to the end of really this picture for us, verse 9, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What does faith look like? It saves our soul. It saves our soul. Uh, be careful. I, I know sometimes when you hear that word soul, uh, you think that it's something apart from your person. Or, you know, we sometimes get lost in these different words for a person. And we, is there the body and the soul and the spirit? And like, which part? Are we in three parts? Is it 33%? And, uh, you know, which are we talking about? I want to tell you that. He's referring to our eternal person. It's who we are. And what does salvation is it found in? It's in us. It's in us. And our faith, our faith comes to fruition in the end. It comes to uh, that conclusion, if you will. It saves us. Our faith saves us. Our faith in Jesus Christ saves us. Okay, be careful, right? It's not just faith, it's not just believing, but it's believing in Jesus Christ. It says this, it uses the word obtaining. That word obtaining is the idea of personally appropriating it for ourselves. It's the idea of bringing it in and, and enjoying it, moving in. It's the idea that it now is ours, it's our residence, our salvation. And I want to tell you at the end of this life, uh, all the, the riches of salvation will come to us and we'll enjoy it forever. It's the logical end of the process of our faith action. I want to tell you that life may be longer than you want it to be. 
Glad nobody said amen. Some of you are feeling it. But I, 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 life may be longer than we want it to be and, and harder and more difficult and the hurts and the guilt. Like that, that may be more difficult. But I want to tell you that, that us trusting, putting, placing our faith in Jesus comes to fruition in the end that we would have salvation. It's interesting that uh, when we think of our long road and our, our, our coming to faith and then finally at the end obtaining all that we have in Christ, uh, I want to tell you that uh, we looked at it as, as our book or our plan, right? I want to tell you that it's not our plan. It's God's plan. And that as part of his large plan, we are this small part. But I want to tell you those details matter. And that this is the plan of God being worked out in your life. And I would even say it this way, for you and for your family seeing it, uh, your life coming to a close is the final triumph of his plan for you. That we see the end and we say, oh no, but it's not oh no. For those of us who have trusted in Christ, it's our salvation coming to fruition. The joy that we have right now, uh, the faithfulness and the forgiveness that we have, no longer guilty because of what Jesus did. Uh, We no longer are condemned to the hurts of this life. We can find joy. Those things right now are just a foretaste. They're just a a sample, if you will. I I hate to say this. I I wasn't going to use this, but I couldn't get it out of my mind. Any of you ever gone to Costco? Taste, right? They're trying to suck you in with a taste. And they're they're saying, you need this. And I want to tell you, uh, God... God has blessed us so richly in this life. And for us to say, this is just a taste. This is barely anything to what he has for us, the riches that he has for us. And so as we look at what it is to have faith, it's not just uh, simple thoughts and words, but it's based upon Jesus. It's real. And at the end, we will be experiencing all that he had planned for us, and that we'll be receiving salvation complete, salvation complete, all the riches of the Father and the Father has for us. I want to encourage you this morning, uh, if you haven't trusted in Christ, maybe today's your day. Maybe you're like, yeah, I believe in that. This is, this is the day. And that you could say, I, I, I trade in my old thoughts, and I, I trust in Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross on my behalf. This is the day for you. I want to encourage you. uh, We're going to pray now and maybe make this time a time for you to cry out uh, to the Father and to repent of your sins and to uh, give up your life that you have for the life that he has for you. God, thank you so much uh, for clarity of your gospel. Thank you for the riches that you shower on us and layer like there's so many layers to it and and to be even able to go through the passage this morning and (coughs) to realize the struggle for words and inexpressible joy that comes because of Jesus God we ask your blessing on your church I pray for anyone here this morning that may have been struggling uh, with where they fit in this that they would turn over their life to you that they would trust in Jesus, not themselves, not some great ideas, but that they would trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross. They might receive salvation for their souls.
God, thank you for this morning. Glorify yourself in your church. In Jesus' name.